Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 19 this morning. We are going to watch Jesus live out his faith in a very, very real manner. And it's going to be, we're going to parallel what Jesus does as he's, as he's walking to the cross here with our own lives. And how, really, at the end of the day, what it looks like to be on mission. You guys have heard me say, hey, we need to be on mission. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, what if they don't know what the mission is? We, we can't assume um, in our Christianese that everybody understands the language that we're using. And number two is, sometimes the language is, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, the, the, the English language of how we're redefining things. Sometimes Christianese is the same way. Uh, you use a word like sovereignty, and it means, you know, ten things to ten different people. Or you use a word like baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it means one thing to one person, another to another. So here's the deal is that I want to explain to you what I believe the Bible says the mission of the church is, which is you. You are the church. Now, I think a man, um, a man that I came across, the mission statement of this particular man, he was defining the mission of the church, and I feel like this is a really good, clear uh, mission, which is a biblical mission, which really summarizes everything. And, and he wrote this, the church's mission is to glorify God, first and foremost, to glorify him. Listen, here's how we're going to do it. By proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making Christ-like disciples who make Christ-like disciples. That's exactly our mission, folks. To glorify him and then to go out and, and make disciples that they might make disciples. Now, I'm a simple guy, so I make it real simple in my mind. I, I summarize it like this. To know Christ and to make him known. You know, to know Christ and to make him known. If you're knowing Christ and you're, you're consuming Christ, he is the, the passion of your life, then you're going to love what he loves. That's what the Bible says. If you're loving God with everything that you have and you're pursuing with everything that you have, then you're going to love his people, the people that he created. You're going to see the lost. You're going to see people that are stuck. You're going to have compassion on those people that are, you know, just maybe not living up to your standard. The Lord, he, he is calling you and I to simply love him and to love people. And when we're doing that, then we're going we're gonna to have a passion to want to know him and we're going to want to make him known. Do you know that's what Jesus did? Jesus loved his father with everything that he had. Everything that he had. He held nothing back. He said, I will do every single thing that you ask me to do. Not because I have to, but because I love my father. I love my father. I want to do what my father wants me to do. I know that he's called me to do these things, and I will do everything. And Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I have done everything that you have asked me to do. That's the truth for Jesus. The question is, is that the truth for you? Are you on mission today as defined by, you know, the Bible? Are you loving God and are you loving people? Are you making, are you knowing him to make him known? Listen, Jesus, that's why he stayed on mission because he had such a love for the Father. And through that, through that he had such a love for you and I. He was fully man, 
when he came. He struggled with the same things you struggle with. You know, when you walk by somebody, you're like, dude, what's that person's problem? You know, Jesus had a love for people because he loved his father. He didn't struggle like we struggle like that. And I promise you that if you struggle like that, it's a result of your own intimate relationship with the father. That's where it starts. You can't have love for people without loving God first. And I will say this. You, you know, some of you are here saying, well, I love, pe- I love God. I just don't love people. I love God, you know, but I don't love people. W- what's your definition of love? What do you mean you love God? You know, well, I love God, and, and you know, that's why I do all these things. No, 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 no. Your definition of love is I, 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 I love God, and therefore I keep all his commandments. That's legalistic. No, no, where is the intimacy in your relationship with God? That's love. Like, love does things out of nowhere for no reason. Because love is a verb for sure, but, you know, at the end of the day, love is not, love is not constrained by rules, and it doesn't do it because I have to do it. I don't love my wife because I have to. I love her because I'm in a relationship with her, and the more I get to know her, the more I love her. And the same with the Father. The more you get to know the Father, the more you'll love Him. And then you'll love people. Jesus was on mission, man. His mission was to give himself up 100% for you and I, that we'd be reconciled to the Father. That, that sinners, i.e. you and I, could be reconciled to a holy God through the innocent blood of the Lamb of God. How amazing is that? That is love, folks. He didn't do it because he had to do it. He did it because of love. He did it because of relationship. He did it because that was what the Father had planned for him to do, and he was fully willing to do it. Now understand when Jesus goes to the cross, as he's walking, as we talked about last week, you know, when he was standing there and Pilate was saying, uh, you know, do you want me to release Barabbas or Jesus? You know, Jesus wasn't begging that they would release him because he was on mission. He knew what his mission was. He wasn't hoping that they, the people would be, um, you know, compassionate towards him and that they would send Barabbas to death because he deserved it. Jesus was thinking of you and I in that moment. And, as he, wa- and he walks through these moments as we're going to go through here in a second. And you're going to see the price that he paid, man. He did it for you because he loves you, not because he had to. Not because he was trying to be religious or follow rules, but because he was intimate relationship with the Father. He loved his Father. That's why he did it. And he loves you. And the price that he paid is unbelievable. So stand with me real quick. We're going we're gonna to read John chapter 19. We're just going to read a couple verses and then we're going to break it down. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! 
Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we know that the things that we will go through this morning in watching what Jesus has done for us are heavy. So heavy that we don't really fully comprehend. Sometimes we just block it out because it's so heavy. But this morning, God, we're praying by the power of your spirit that you would make it known to us the great cost that Jesus paid for us, Lord. And that you would, it would stir within us a passion for you, God. To not love ourselves, but to love you. And then to love your people. Lord, we're asking you to change our lives today. Every person in this place today needs to be changed, including me. So I'm asking you personally on my behalf, God, that you would, you would put your heart in me this morning. You would put your heart in every person here. That we would have your eyes. We'd have your mind, God. That we would have your hands and your feet and your mouth, Lord. Your ears. Transform us in to your son today, Lord. Continue to shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are five things that I want to share with you this morning about what it means to be on mission. And there's no better teacher than Jesus. He was 100% on mission 100% of the time. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing that that you should write down is being on mission means becoming a living sacrifice. Being on mission means becoming a living sacrifice. Now, be, be, by way of reminder, Jesus is in his sixth trial, sixth and final trial. He's gone through three child, trials with the Jews, which were illegal. Therefore, the three trials that he goes through with the Romans are illegal. First with Annas, then Caiaphas, then Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. That was, no, that was the first three. Then Pilate and Herod, which we talked about last week. Now back to Pilate. And that's where we pick it up today, where Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate has already released Barabbas. He said, you know, he washed his hands in front of the people. And he said, his blood is on, not on my hands. I'm clean of this. And he releases Barabbas. And it says in verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, what happened in that moment was that the people, when Barabbas was released, the people cried out, let his blood be on us and on our children. Let his blood be on us and our children. Now, this is an Old Testament idiomy. Um, I don't know what that word is, but anyway. Um, it was an Old Testament saying that meant uh, the people as a whole will take responsibility for the blood of Christ. They were willingly taking responsibility in that moment for, for Jesus' blood. They were saying, not on us and, and on our children. And yet, that responsibility fell even beyond that. Of course, Pilate washed his hands. That, that hand washing did nothing. He's, he's responsible as well. Not only that, but anybody who rejects 
Jesus Christ, and the gospel is responsible for his blood, including you and I at one point in our lives. We were responsible for the shed, shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. Well, I wasn't there. No, no. But your sin was. Your sin was, and that's why he shed his blood, to forgive us of our sin. That's why his, that's why his blood can cover you today. You see, it's, the blood of Christ is interesting because it not only can save you, but it can also condemn you. There is judgment that comes with the blood of Christ, but there is also salvation that comes with the blood of Christ, even in the church, folks. You know, when we partake of communion and we are, you know, we, we take the, the body and the blood of Christ and we, we come and we remember what he's done for us, you know, Paul says that if you do that in a flippant manner with no regard for Christ and for what he's done for you, that you are you're, you're asking for judgment upon yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 through 30. He's speaking to the church. Here's what he says. Whoever therefore eats the, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the, blo- the blo- body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and, the cup of the, uh, and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning The body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's in the church. Listen to this. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Because they were partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. Now, what does that mean? That means they had no regard for Christ at all. They were there for their own purposes. It was food to them. It was nothing more than a piece of bread and some wine to drink, and it didn't mean anything. God takes that seriously. His son really died. His body was really marred. His blood really flowed. And he takes it serious. And so when we partake of communion, it's one of those things that we don't want to be flipping about. It's a celebration. Yes, it is. Because we are celebrating the fact that we are forgiven. But for those who would come in flippantly and for those that would say, oh, whatever, you know, I, I, I don't really regard it. There's no reverence in the heart for that. Jesus, or the Lord says here that you are asking for judgment upon yourself. Reaping judgment upon yourself. Well, I thought that there is no, he didn't say condemnation. He didn't say you aren't saved. He just said that, hey, God's going to chastise you. There's going to be some Something come down on you for not regarding the, the, the bread and the cup of Jesus Christ. You know, that, that, that represents his body and his blood. And let us not forget that judgment starts where? In the house of the Lord. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, folks. He has not changed. You know what? From day one, God's heart was reconciliation for man. From day one, from the Garden of Eden, he said, I'm going to provide a way for you. I am going to provide a sacrifice for you. That was his heart. And of course, symbolically, he instituted the old covenant, which is the the, the rituals of, you know, giving of the sacrifice and all of that. But none of that was a means of salvation at all. It was a picture that was meant to point us to Christ. That that is all of, that's all that was. And what's going to be glorious, and I can't wait for this, is in the millennial reign of Christ, 
When, there is, when Jesus Christ himself builds the, te- the temple and, and then they, he institutes the old covenant rituals where there will be sacrifices and all of that, and we will fully understand all of that, and we will fully see how everything points to Jesus. Now, we have, a, we have ideas today, but I can't wait until I have full understanding of all the sim- symbolisms in the old covenant that, that would point us to Jesus. There are so many. And it is so rich and so deep. But God's heart was for reconciliation. And thus, then he sent his son. Why? So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be reconciled to him. And so he doesn't take it lightly when people sort of flip it off. Like, eh, whatever. It's just Jesus. You know, he's serious about it in his body. Not only his body, but also those who don't know God. There is condemnation for the blood of Christ. They were responsible for the blood of Christ because no one will stand before God in heaven and say, I didn't have an opportunity. I, did not, I didn't get to know who you were. No one will have that excuse. God will say, no, no, you knew. You knew, but you're the Romans one person who decided to trade the truth for a lie, who wanted to live in licentious, you know, their own pleasures rather than to pursue me, and thus you rejected me, so you are guilty. And I tried everything to woo you to myself. So that's the reality, is that there is condemnation for those who reject Jesus Christ because his blood was shed for them. It's his blood that is, is the reality and also the sin of man. So his blood not only saves us, but it also can condemn us. Pilate tells us here that Jesus was delivered over to uh, flogging. He, he delivered Jesus over that his innocent blood would flow through this process of flogging. Now, here, here's the thing is there are two different kinds of flogging back in this day, two different types of scourging. You know, and one was that they would just take a staff and they would beat them. They would beat them and then they would go their way and that, that's the punishment. That's not the one Jesus got. The one Jesus got was preparation for crucifixion. It was a type of flogging, a type of scourging that they would use what is called a flagellum. It was a whip that had nine strands of leather upon it. It's called the cat of nine tails. And at the end of those nine strands of leather, they would attach bone and glass and rock. And what they would do with that is there would be a garrison that would, uh, you know, take Jesus into the praetorium there where Pilate was. They would strap him to a post. They would, all 600 of them would come out. They would surround him. He had no friends there. He had no friends there. And they would take that flagellum and they would joyfully. These men were hard, hard as could be. They would joyfully take that cat of nine tails and they would strap it on his back and they would rip his flesh. And, and to be graphic is we can't, I mean, the, the passion of Christ, you know, points, you know, kind of gives us the idea, but it doesn't go far enough, actually. When a person was scorched or flogged, you know, that cat of nine tails had the capacity to rip flesh to the point where the backbone and where the ribs would be exposed to the point that they could actually expose internal organs where they would fall out. That's the, to the degree that these guys, and these guys were masters at it. They had done it over and over and over and over again. They strapped Jesus Christ to that judgment post. They took that flagellum and they whipped his body until his, his back was totally shredded, until his sides were totally shredded. No doubt you could see his backbone and his ribs. He took incredible 
punishment for us. The pain must have been incredibly severe, beyond our even imagination. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus never once said, stop. Never once. He never once said, stop, because he was on mission. Here's what I'm saying to you. In order to be on mission, it's going to require to be a living sacrifice. You are going to have to sacrifice in order to be on mission. It's going to cost you something. You know, when we, as believers, when we come into God's presence and we receive his grace and his love, we're signing up on, into his service. We're saying, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do with me, including sacrifice. It doesn't matter. Whatever the cost, Lord, I will give myself over to you. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, 1. He said, therefore, my brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I like another version of that, that which says it is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service because of what Jesus has done for you. He literally became a sacrifice. Man, was he incredibly beaten. And Paul says, we should be willing to be the same kind of sacrifice that Jesus Christ was. The same kind of sacrifice. But that means pain. I didn't sign up for pain. I didn't sign up for suffering. I didn't sign up for that. But the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, I believe, it says that all, if we want to follow Christ, we're going to have to suffer. But in verse 18, it says, dude, the, 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 the suffering that we suffer is not even comparable to the glory that we'll see. I mean, that's paraphrasing, but that's the reality is, yes, we are going to suffer. Jesus promised us that we would suffer. That's part of it. They hated him. They hate you. Now, we live in the United States, and we're appalled by people, you know, saying Jesus' name in vain, and yet there are people in the 1040 window that are giving up their lives for Christ to stand for him. And, and what I'm saying is, is that, you know, are you prepared to do whatever it is that he calls you to do? Are you being a living sacrifice? Well, I don't want to tell them about God. They're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm some, wait a second, are you a living sacrifice or not? Are you up on the altar or not? Are you surrendered to God or not? It's, it's a simple thing. We, it's yes or no. There is no in-between. And I can tell you for me, sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. And that's probably the same for you. So here's the thing. How do I be on mission like Jesus? How do I, how do I make sure that I'm on mission for Jesus? I have to have the mindset that my life is over and I've given it, I'm surrendered to him. Whatever he wants to do, it's not my will, but his will be done, right? That's what we're called to do. If you want to be on mission, that is the requirement to become a living sacrifice. Number two, being on mission means being faithful while being mocked. Look at verse two. It says that the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Then they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, 
Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Now, King Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son was mocked horribly before man before in his weakest moments. He just, he's, he's being scourged. He's being whipped. While he's being whipped, they are at the same time mocking him. He's being the sacrifice that he's called to be. And, 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 and with that comes pain and suffering, yes, but it also comes mocking. Here these guys are, and they take you know, they, they take this thorns. These thorns are nine inches long, up, up to nine inches long. They twist them in a crown, and they put it on his head. They give him a staff. They give him a reed as a staff, and they, as his back is being torn open, they put this purple robe upon his back, probably the same one Pilate sent him over with, or Herod sent him over with. So Herod's guys did the same thing. The pain that would that would cause. The, the pain of putting, you know, you know how it is when you put some sort of, you know, fabric on a wound? You know, you skin your knee and you put fabric on it and then it sticks to it and you're just like, oh man, that hurts so bad. Could you imagine your whole back being laid open? Your whole back being laid open, your sides being laid open, your arms, I, you know, I don't know the, the degree that they were laid open, but they were, it was far beyond anyone else. I can guarantee you that. They put, a, they put cloth on his back then they put that crown on his head and they took the staff and as they were mocking him, they were saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They took the staff and they would wrap it on his head and it would push it down. And that's, that would just begin to just cut his forehead open, begin to pin him through, you know, the, 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 to the skull. The pain that he was going through, the mockery that was happening there was unbelievable. They would then beat him. They would hit him, punch him in the face, rip his beard out. In fact, here's the picture Isaiah depicted for us of this moment. Isaiah 54, verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus' face and his body were so marred that people didn't, didn't know whether or not he was a human. His face was so swolled up. His body was so just beaten down. And as Pilate brought him out and said, I find no fault with this man. Behold, the man, Jesus, is just there, a bloody mess, beaten beyond recognition. He's hoping that he can get some mercy from the people by them seeing him in this, in this condition. Now, most people would have died at this point. A lot of people did die during the flogging, during this process. Jesus is being mocked. And, and they bring him out, Pilate even somewhat mocking Jesus as he brings him out in this crown of thorns, in this robe with the staff, and he's like, behold, your, behold the man. You know, he doesn't say behold the king, which is interesting. Jesus is a king. He's, he already told him, I am a king. I'm not a king of, I'm not, my, king is not, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet, they bring him out mocking him, and Pilate, at the very same time, is saying, I don't find any fault in him. You guys crucify him. Jesus was mocked incredibly. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you will be mocked. You will be mocked. You can just count on that. It's going to happen. You will. You, you're being mocked by the world today. Oh, you believe in the Bible? 
You believe in talking donkeys and talking snakes? Come on, are you kidding me? You believe in this garbage. That's what they say. You're being mocked. But understand, they're not mocking you. Jesus says they're mocking him. So as you stand in Christ, you're going to be mocked. People are going to reject the message. They're going to think it's foolishness. And yet, in the midst of the mocking, may we, ne- may we never cower. Jesus didn't back down in that moment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I'm not really the Son of God. I'm not really God the Son. No. Even in his mockery, he remained faithful. We have to remain faithful as Christians, man. In this day and age, because the world is mocking us. The world is mocking God's word. They're mocking him. But we need to remain faithful just as Jesus remained faithful. The way that Jesus did that, he was clinging to the Father in those moments. You want to be faithful in, in, in these moments? You need to cling to God. You know, these moments, why does God allow these things to happen in our lives? So it pushes you towards him. So it, it causes you to cling onto him even more, more than you ever would before. And, you know, when you're in trial, that's really the reality, isn't it? Is it really pushes you either closer to the Lord or you get mad and you just completely reject him. But it has something to do with him. And, and it's meant to push you into Jesus. It's meant to push you closer to the God, more intimacy with him, that you can trust him in a different way, that you can see his glory in some other fashion. And yet oftentimes we get upset and we are not faithful in the moment and we reject and we try and find comfort in the midst of suffering and mocking. And the Lord would say, be faithful, man. Just be faithful. Jesus was, was incredibly marred here. He was, he was being mocked incredibly. Not only that, but also... Um, we find here that Jesus was also being telling, uh, Pilate tells him, I am, uh, have authority over you. I have authority over you. Look at verse 8 here. So when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate, after hearing Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, they, the, the Jews had said he, that's his claim, that's why we want him crucified because we believe he's God. Pilate, it says he became even more afraid. He was already afraid, but he became even more afraid. Now, why is that? Why would he care? Because he's somewhat mocking Jesus at the same time. Well, when he understood that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, that resonated in his heart. And the reason why that resonated in his heart is because the Romans believed in demigods. They believed that, that, that there were people that even, even Pilate, I mean, even uh, Caesar was a demigod. They believed that he was a god in humankind, and human likeness. So when he heard that, he became even more afraid. He's like, you mean he's a demigod? Oh, his kingdom's not of this world? All of a sudden, fear strikes him. Not only that, but also his wife at the very same time. It says in Matthew 27, 19, uh, she had 
she had been spoken to in a dream. And here's what she said to him. She sent message to him and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. He's a demigod, and my wife had a horrible dream about this situation, and she's telling me to have nothing to do with this. He was afraid. He was afraid, and yet Jesus was not afraid at all. Pilate tries to pull the trump card on Jesus here because Jesus won't speak to him because Jesus is on mission. He understands this is his, his, this is his lot in life. This is what he's called to. Do you understand your calling? Do you understand what God has was put you on this earth to do? We have the corporate you know, call. We're all called to know him and to make him known. But do you have your personal call? What has he formed and fashioned you for? Ephesians 10, he, he created good works that you should work, that you should walk in them. Like he created those things before the foundation of the world. When he created you, he's, he created, he's like, okay, I'm thinking of Tim right now. I'm thinking these are the good works that Tim's going to do. And am I going to be on mission with that? He created those things for us, but he wasn't afraid at all. But Pilate tries to pull the authority card on him now. And Jesus then breaks his silence. I love that. You want to talk about authority? Who has authority here? I created you. I created everything around. Jesus could have gone off on this moment. And yet he says, you know what? Let me tell you about authority, Pilate. The authority you have is the authority that was given to you by my father. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but when enemies are coming against you, when people are coming down on you, it's all under the canvas of God being in control. That he may not be orchestrating the sinfulness of man, but at the same time, he is in control of all of that. And he is only allowing them whatever authority he is allowing them, that he's given them to do whatever it is that they're doing. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows what it takes to reach people. He understands what it takes for you to go deeper with him. He, he is putting the whole picture together, folks. Why is this happening to me? Because God wants to, you to know him more, and he wants to make himself known through you. He, you are a platform. You are, you are, he loves you intimately, and he wants to be intimate with you in maybe a new way. But also, you're a platform for him to show himself strong through. Jesus is saying, Pilate, you want to understand authority? Let me tell you something about authority. You only have the authority that the Father has given you. Paul told us that. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, he said, Let everyone, every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. God is the giver of all authority. Every single authority that exists is, exists because God has instituted it. And thus, he gives us that authority too. Not only does he allow authority to be over you, but he also gave you authority to walk in. Jesus was on mission because he was operating the authority that had been given to him. That's my point number three. If you want to be on mission, you have to operate in the authority that's been given to you. Jesus speaks to Pilate about authority, and he says, listen, I have more authority than you really realize but and the only authority that you have is the authority the Father has given you. But the Father has given me authority too. And he says in Matthew 28, 18, right? All authority has been given to me. All authority. And then he gave us authority. 
Are you walking in that authority? What is that authority? Well, he told the disciples in John 20, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And you're like, all right. Yes, I am not ever going to forgive my enemies. No, no. That, here's, here's the thing. Is forgiveness only comes from God. It, what Jesus is saying here is not that we have the capacity to, to will somebody forgiven or not forgiven. What he's saying is that you have the authority through the gospel to proclaim forgiveness and to proclaim condemnation through the gospel. That's the authority that you've been given. You've been given the authority to tell somebody you're going to go to hell if you don't repent of your sins and you are absolutely forgiven if you confess, you know, if you make Jesus Christ your Lord, if you crown him Lord of your life and you surrender to him, you bow your knee to him, you are absolutely 100% forgiven, past, present, future. You have that authority. Are you walking in that authority? That authority comes with the mission. He gave you that authority so that you could be on mission, so that you could go into the world and you could proclaim with boldness the forgiveness of sins and the reality of the condemnation of those who will reject Jesus Christ. That is not me being a judge. That is not me saying, I'm judging you like the world will proclaim to us, right? The world will say, oh, you're judging me. Don't you tell me what's right or wrong. I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. The Bible tells you what's right or wrong. I'm simply, by the authority of Jesus Christ, telling you what he said. Don't you dare add to that. Don't you dare take away from that. You walk in the authority that Jesus has given you. That is how you stay on mission, folks. But when we start to water down the word of God, we start to water down the gospel, we start to water down Jesus, we're off mission. We've missed the mark. We have to stay true. We have to walk in the authority. Jesus is walking in the authority that he's been given to him, and the authority that he's been given here is to lay down his life for his friends. And he's willing to do that. Fourthly, if you're taking notes, being on mission means being a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. Look at verse 12. And then from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not a Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes him a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat and at a place called the stone pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon there. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Being on mission means to be a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. In the darkest moments of the history of the world, here we find the people of God denying the Son of God and calling for His blood to be shed by way of crucifixion, the most painful and horrific way known to man to die. It is unbelievable what's happening here. Pilate has the ability to say yay or nay, but he fears man more than he fears God. He feared man more than he feared God. He, he, he's, he's saying, I, I, I don't find any fault with them. And yet he has the power to say yay or nay. He could tell these people to go home. Right is right, no matter what it costs you. It might cost you your job. It might cost you a relationship. 
It might cost you something, but if you, uh, you know, right is right. The truth is absolute. It doesn't change on circumstances. Well, here's the circumstances, so truth is relative in this situation. No, it's not. You're going to fear somebody in your life. Are you going to fear God or are you going to fear man? You know, are you going to fear the Lord or are you going to fear man? If you're going to fear man, you will be off mission incredibly. But if you fear God, you will stay on mission because you care more about what he thinks and you care more than you do about what other people think of you. You need to be on mission. You need to care more about what the Lord thinks. And that's what Jesus was doing in these moments. He didn't sit there and try and defend himself. He didn't say, what do you mean crucify me? What are you talking about? I should crucify you. In fact, I should call down angels on you. He didn't do any of that. He feared the Lord and he stood his ground and he went to the cross and he was crucified for us. Pilate is trying everything he can do to release Jesus. Jesus is saying nothing. The crowd is stirred up. They want nothing but his blood. And Pilate cowers in the moment, and he fears man more than he does God. Listen, if you want to be on mission, you need to trust and fear our sovereign God, that he knows what he's doing, even though you you, you can't put two and two together in the moment, but you know that he's calling you to be where you are and to do what you're doing. You stay the course. You do not depart the path because you're more afraid of what's going to happen to you than than you are about what the Lord is calling you to. You need to stay the course. Stay the course. Someone here today needs to stay the course. They're running away from it right now. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 you need to go back and stay the course no matter what it costs you. Don't fear man. You fear the Lord. Lastly, being on mission means being a cross-bearer. Look, so Jesus, so they took Jesus, verse 17, and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Jesus is now sentenced to crucifixion at the place called the skull or in Aramaic Golgotha. This is a literal place outside of Jerusalem. And if you go there today, there's a bus stop at the base of this hill and up on the, sort of the left side of the bus stop, there is the face of a skull. Now it's kind of eroded and, you know, they have this big glass look out there that you can go in and look and you can see. And there's what they say is, you know, the, the, the tomb of Jesus is right, very, not very far from that. You know, but, but the picture of this skull mountain is unbelievable. You can see the eyes. You can see the nose. Uh, it, it is just, it, it, and, and Jesus was took to that place. It was just outside the walls of the city. Now, many, many people think that they took Jesus on top because it is a hill. And, they, and they, they, they crucified him there. The, you know, many other people believe that Jesus was crucified at the base where that bus stop is. If you ever go to Israel, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, where that bus stop is. Because they would crucify people in, you know, a, along a public road so that people would see them. So that they could walk by and see judgment. So they understand the authority of Rome in that day. So that they would, they would cower. So that they would bow down to the laws of the, the land. And so they would crucify them right alongside of a path. Many believe that's where Jesus was crucified. Here, here's what I know. It doesn't matter where he was crucified, but he was crucified. He was sentenced to crucifixion. And when he was sentenced to crucifixion, I want you to get this picture in your mind of this bloody, battered, marred Jesus who has been up all night, been tried, been back and forth. He is in, 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 incredibly exhausted at this point, no doubt. 
His blood has been, he shed so much blood already. And now they say, you are going to bear this cross. You are going to bear this cross. What does that mean? There is a post that the, those who had been sentenced to crucifixion would be required to carry over to the place of crucifixion where there was another post already put in the ground. And, and here's what would happen. And we'll get into this more next week. But they would, uh, this guy would take this post and he would have to carry it there. Once he was there, they would pin him to it. They would drop him down into a slot that was above on, on the post that was already planted in the ground. They would drop him down and his joints would come up all just discombobulated from his shoulders to his arms to his wrists. Just as soon as they dropped him into the thing, all the weight of his body would go honk and it would dislocate his arms. And, and, and so we'll get into a lot of the details of the cross next week. But I want you to understand that post was 200 pounds. 200 pounds. They wanted Jesus to carry a 200-pound post after he had been whipped and beaten, bloody, marred, and after he had been, you know, beaten beyond recognition. It, they have no mercy, folks. That's what I want you to understand. There is no mercy the enemy has no mercy on you. He will not stop. Thankfully, God is in control. And God will only let it go so far. Now, Jesus, they could have done a lot of other things to Jesus, but God was in control, and he had a prophetic picture that was going to be played out perfectly, exactly the way that he called it. And we'll get into that more next week. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus was in no shape to carry this beam. He couldn't do it. He could not carry his own cross. And yet we can, right? We can carry our own cross. We can, we can go out and, uh, you know, bear, bear our own burdens and do all these things. We try to. Jesus Christ couldn't do it. He did not bear his own cross. In fact, one of the Roman soldiers along the way tapped somebody with his spear on the flat side and said, you. His name was Simon, the Cyrenian. Cyr and Simon was a black man that had traveled nearly 900 miles, probably a one-time journey for him. One-time journey for him to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. You can imagine how excited he is. He's like, hey, what's going on here? Next thing you know, he gets tapped on the shoulder. He's like, what is going on here? I don't want him to be part of this. God ordained Simon from the foundation of the world to be the cross-bearer for Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? That you would be selected. I don't think he felt special in the moment. But in that moment, he was tapped on the shoulder and he said, you, and you were required. Roman soldiers had the authority to, to call you to bear their burden for a mile. What did Jesus say? Go two. Don't just go one mile. You go two miles. If you could get called by a Roman soldier to bear something, you do it beyond and you tell him, God bless you, Jesus loves you. And here's the thing. Simon took that 200-pound post and he drug that thing all over to Golgotha where Jesus would be crucified. He bore the cross for Christ. Here's what I want you to understand is that your burden, your cross, yes, we're called to bear one. We are called to bear one, but you're not called to carry the weight. Jesus carries the weight he said, man, when the weight is on your shoulders, when the cross is so, when it's burning you down, you let me carry the weight. You let me do it. That's what he did for us. Jesus told us, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself 
he must take up his cross and follow me. What he meant by that was that we were, we were to be completely and totally abandoned of ourselves, to disown the old man completely, to say, you no longer have authority in my life. I no longer have anything to do with you. I'm disowning you. I'm not walking in the flesh anymore. I'm not doing these things. I am steadfast. My eyes are fixed upon Jesus. That's what it means to deny yourself. You're not your own, folks. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself. You have to walk with me, he's, telling, he's saying. You, you have to deny yourself. There, you're going to have a struggle. It's going to be a battle. You're going to, I don't feel like going to church today. It's not about going to church, but I don't feel like sharing the gospel. I don't feel like giving to God. I don't feel like um, serving God. I don't feel like, you know, doing this today. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like doing this or that. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is that you don't feel like doing. But Jesus said you need to deny yourself. You need to deny yourself, and you need to then take up your cross. What does that mean? It means that you need to be willing to pay any price for his sake. Any price. It's a willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. Cross-bearing is part of the mission, folks. If you're going to be on mission, you have to be a cross-bearer. But at the same token, you need to understand that Jesus will carry the weight. Simon carried Jesus' weight. There is somebody there for you to help you through it. He doesn't expect you to be on mission on your own. You carry the burden. You carry the weight. No, he does it for you. And if you want to be on mission, that is exactly what you're going to have to do. Are you denying yourself? Are you taking up your cross? It's part of the mission. Jesus is willingly, and I, I want you to understand that, willingly saying, to you and I, that I did it for you. I was willing to suffer whatever was necessary that you might be reconciled to God. And here's the thing. If you love God, then you're going to be willing to do whatever it is that he calls you to do, no matter what it is that it costs you. If you love the Lord, you will. If you love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I, I don't think that I do that all the time. I'm going to be honest with you. There's times that I don't deny myself. There's times that I, you know, that I, that I don't do those things. And those are the most miserable moments in my life when I'm not walking in unity with the Spirit of God and I'm doing my own thing. Here's what I want you to hear this morning is, man, be on mission. You know, I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm trying to get you to realize it's a, there's a cost to it and you need to understand that. You know, when we come to Christ, there's a cost to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. And, and then there's a mission to fulfill. And that mission is going to cost you. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you, you know, all, all, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you comfort. It's going to cost you pleasure. It's going to cost you all kinds of things. But I promise you that you will, you will get insurmountable joy when you are on mission for the Lord. You understand? Be on mission. Don't forsake it. If you're here this morning, and you're saying, man, you know, and you're, you're beating yourself up. The guilt and shame is starting to come on you. That is not the purpose. The purpose that God wants you to hear this morning, that he wanted to speak to you about this morning, was here's the mission. Here's what's required. If you're not doing it, do it. That's it. Simple. Just do it. That's it. Listen, I'll tell you what. God challenged me a couple months ago. And you know what? I, I want to be on mission 100%. 100% passionate for the Lord, doing what I can do. And I'm not going to do it perfectly, 
But man, I want to be passionate about the Lord. I don't want to be the guy out there that people, are, people when, when they find out I'm a Christian, go, whoa, ha, I didn't know you were a Christian. No, no, I want people to know up front who I am. And I want to live my life in such a way. Jesus was up front about who he was. May we be up front about who we are. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for um, just challenging us in our lives today, Lord, to live the life that we're called to. Lord, to be on mission for you. Jesus, you gave everything for us. And Lord, may we be willing to give everything for you. That is really the call that to surrender when we bow our knee to you is that we're willing to give ourselves over 100%. As Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we ask you today, Lord, that um, to put a passion in our heart, Lord, if we are stagnant in you, you know, in, and probably in our mind we're saying, oh, of course I love God. Of course I love uh, people. And yet our actions don't match our words. Would you help us today, Lord? Would you put in our hearts a, a more a greater love for you than for ourselves, that we would, we would love you with everything that we have, Lord, and that in doing that, that will produce a love for people. And that's how we'll be on mission, Lord, just simply loving you and loving people. We'll want to make you known in this world. And so by your spirit right now, Lord, we're just asking you to move in this place. We're asking you to move us from where we are to where you want us to be, Lord. There is a mountain you desire for us to climb up. There is a victory that you desire to give to us, Lord. There is incredible growth in our life that you desire for us, and you are watering the field right now. You have planted the seed, Lord. May our hearts be willing to allow the growth, God. Thank you for pursuing us and loving us, and thank you for meeting us where we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.